Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas, Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls! The few times we had to be at church and it was like 7 o'clock, my husband would be on his like phone watching it streaming. <laughs> Looking in the at back. the football. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. The dad's and, in the back. You'd see you'd see people like looking back, like and he'd be like like doing the sport of the <laughs> They were like, Man, I wish my wife was cool and let me see watch that'd be a gr- that'd be a great skit, actually. The dad's <laughs> in the back. Mm-hmm. So you got a bunch of guys in the back pews, you know. Have you ever seen the Friends episode? Yeah, it was a funeral. I was gonna say that Friends That's episode. That's what it reminds me of. It was like Monica and Ross's like grandma, right? And uh, their dad is watching. He goes, "Now I'm really depressed." <laughs> <laughs> and his wife looks at him more than I was before. I love the dude that plays Monica's dad on that show. I love him. He is so I love him funny. Too. I love that guy. Health. This is Healthcare One. You have an appointment today at six o'clock. I have a UTI again. Oh, what are you doing, dude? I don't know. I think it's because I'm sitting all the time. I never used to sit. Why would sitting give you? I mean, if that was the case, I should have a UTI all the fucking time. Because I don't that's know. All I, I do at work is sit. I was thinking that too. I just don't. I, I can't think I work of any on a reason. Computer all day, so this is my position all day long. See, but it's different for me because I never used to sit all the time because the board's a stand-up no, board. You know what? You know what gives you UTIs? What? Having lots and lots of sex. Maybe it's those crazy dreams you've been having. I think Speaking of yeah. praising the freaking gods. The god of horror is Martha's new. Oh my god! Obsession. Yeah, I had a note. I had a little note, and I'm like, okay, we have to ask her about her dream. Oh my god! It was just. Was it a bow chicka bow bow dream? Yeah, it kind of was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a little creepy, yeah, dude. It kind of was. Did Only... he kill you at the end? Well, no, he wasn't. He wasn't really himself. You know how when dreams aren't exactly like the thing that they're supposed to be like so like, it was like he was way younger and fatter and and like <laughs> like the young Stephen King instead of like the Stephen King now where he's kind of skinny and right. and older he's like, his, like, like his, he's like the Joe Hill version of himself but it was but it was ah uh, Stephen so really it's Joe Hill that she's it's really Joe Hill yeah maybe she wants a father-son get together you <laughs> yeah, he might be creepier than his dad. I'm I'm still out on that. Oh my gosh. I think he is I find people who are super talented at things very attractive for different reasons. Maybe that's why I had this this whole Stephen King dream. Well, I know that you told me in your dream that he was he, he was <clears throat> something that you should worship. Well, I'll <laughs> I'll try to. It I'll, wasn't just the girth. <laughs> I'll, I'll just, tr- I'll, I'll just try to go back over that dream a little bit for you, okay? And I don't know what the circumstances were surrounding why I was in this position at all. "Quote unquote position." Position. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I was she in was this hanging from her ankle. I was in this hotel room with Stephen King. I have no idea why I was there and we were having a conversation and I turned around and he had his pants down nice and his member was enormous <laughs> not just not just Earth-wise. not just long oh. but big around and like dinosaur size and, <gasps> and I was just standing there it's it was like wine bottles hanging out of it it was about as big around as a coke can it was you know it was it was huge wow and I was just standing there looking at it with my mouth open going I don't think that's gonna fit he's like oh it's fine that happens all the time <laughs> wow Steven well, at least he was understanding yeah it was just really Poor boy. It, it'll fit just spit on it <laughs> <laughs> Just needs a little lube. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. I have no idea why I was dreaming about that. Maybe that's why I have... Maybe maybe that was the beginning of the pain of the UTI or something. I have to dream about that. I don't Dude, know. You were having feelings you in that it. area. What did you say? 
That's how you got the UTI. It, Stephen King and his large member. Damn you, Stephen King. I guess. Or, Jesus. It's, it's pretty bad when your dreams give you a UTI. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, you better be careful. But I remember you better make sure and tell him to wrap that shit if you're going to be catching diseases from I your I remember dream. waking up and just looking over at my husband. You know, Have you ever had a really super <laughs> inappropriate dream about somebody and it makes you feel guilty? Hmm. And it was yeah. just a dream. It's not like, A, it's not like that would ever happen. B, it's not like I would ever be in that position because I'm not that kind of a person, but... I remember the worst is when you have a dream like that about somebody you know. Oh my That's, god, yes. That creeped the crap out of me because now, thank god this guy is gay, but I still like and it's this weird recurring thing like every once in a while and I'm like, what is that? It I wake up and I'm honestly concerned that I did something really bad. And I like look over and he's sleeping and I was like, you will never know. Well, he will now because it's on tape, honey. He is not going to listen. He doesn't do books. I know there was one time. Mine will never listen to this unless I die of some horrible thing and I'll go back and listen Just to the hear her voice the and historical, go, holy shit <laughs> turn it off turn it off the historical documents <laughs> a morbid someday I my need to know about my wife's last day i want to know about her, her interior podcast. life her interior thoughts and feelings it'll turn this on and i'll be talking about stephen king's enormous dick <laughs> <laughs> to think someday ladies our grandkids can be listening to Oh, boy, that brought the room right down, didn't Still it? Need therapy. <laughs> Sorry. Lots of therapy. You know what? I let my 16, my 16-year-old 16 always just happens to be in the room when I listen to it. And she just looks at me and she's like, Mom. But anytime I want to punish her, I honestly am like, like, she'll say something really terrible or inappropriate. And I was like, would you like me to tell you about your father and my sex life? And then she stops. And I'm like, <gasps> that's what I thought. <laughs> now, that's actually. A pr- I'll tell you stuff. <laughs> that's See, actually terrifying <laughs> tyler probably wouldn't care be like god damn mom he'd be like getting a notebook it. out and taking notes <laughs> well tyler's told me stuff about his sex life before and i'm like tyler don't tell me that no i'm your mother i can't i need therapy now no <laughs> don't tell me these things sometimes we need secrets Yes, we do need secrets. I don't know. I don't want to know what kind of shiny romper you bought to wear to bed when you're going. Oh when you're God. when you're ready to have sexy time with Kaylee. No, not interested. Not interested. Don't want to hear about your little fetishes. The only thing I want to hear is that you're using condoms. That's all I want to know. That was a conversation we had last. No, that was when Rachel was. On. So was that last week? Yeah, she wasn't. On yeah, last Rachel's week. got COVID. For those of you who are wondering where she's at. She is, this is week two for her, I think. Yeah, and it is not the silly little, oh, we only have cold symptoms. This no, like she's raging. Yeah. She's COVID. And one of our other book girls that we know of, Allison, she's, I think she has it too. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody else in our group has it, but that's nothing to mess around with. But Allison's book right. tribe, not book girl. Yeah, book tribe, yeah. Book tribe. Our tribe is growing every day. It's so awesome. We love our tribe. It is. Getting they together on amazing. Friday nights and talking about all kinds of... Last night, the conversation got kind of deep and philosophical at times. <laughs> sort of like... Sadly, no. Like high in the hot tub type conversations. You ever done that? Sit out in the hot tub when it's like freezing cold outside and the snow's coming down on your head and you're, you know. I grew up in a trailer park unless that hot tub is like the back of somebody's pickup Well, where the snow is melted. I was an adult at that point, so. Look on Vonnie's face as you described it was like, no, I have no. not done that. Okay, I've always <laughs> been poor. Yeah, I was poor too, but I just happened to have a friend that had a hot tub. And we sat in the hot tub and talked about whether or not there were aliens you know looking up at the stars and having these deep conversations about whether alien aliens exist and whatnot those are the best and then then you add in the book girl factor which would be alien sex conversations yes 
Yeah. Of course. Because that's sort of where we are. Because that's days. all aliens. Wasn't they that... just come and probe us. Yep. What else are they going to do? We're not smart enough to talk to. <laughs> well, it's the, hey, guys, it's the universal language. Have you noticed in the last four years that nobody, you ha- I haven't heard any stories about aliens? <laughs> They're staying away. <laughs> Did I tell you my theory on that? You know, I really used to honestly think that the government probably had some evidence of extraterrestrial contact or life or something, and they just didn't trust us not to go insane about it. I really thought that until Trump became president. And the reason I no longer believe it is there's no fucking way that guy could ever keep his mouth shut about anything important. Well, they probably didn't tell him. Yeah. That is really but yeah think about it i thought about that but yeah they did not tell him who killed jfk no i mean or else we would know about it now exactly think about all the things the deep secrets that they can't tell couldn't tell him or if they did tell him they can then jail him for revealing them afterwards. Well, it's what they That's told the kind something. of stuff that gives me hope and helps me sleep at night, honestly. He'll write a tell-all book and go to jail. Exactly. <laughs> the Official Secrets Act has been breached! Oh, that's British. There's that's a right. movie where... There's some movie, and the president always... They see in the movie that the president has this big book of secrets. Yes. So, that's yeah, from, that probably uh, got hidden under the furniture. Yeah, they, I bet they didn't let... Well, he doesn't read, so... Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, they probably gave it to him. He's Mr. President. Anything just give me the you high points. Know is on this book. He's like, all right, thanks. I'll read that later. Yeah, just give me the high points. Somebody, somebody, just tell me what's in it. We'll be fine. Is there a Wikipedia page for that? <laughs> <laughs> we don't do crib notes. We do Twitter notes. That's it. If it's not short enough to go on a tweet, he isn't reading it. Does Fox News have a special that I can watch <laughs> explaining these to me? Speaking of which, Give and this is books on that. And this is I'm just going to mention it in passing because I'm not going to review it. But it was really kind of oh. funny to read. Um, it was the it's called Make Russia Great Again by Christopher Buckley. And I, I just finished reading it, actually. I think he should rewrite it now that he's seen what actually played out. There's some way worse stuff that he actually did that's worse than the spoof. How long about ago him. was it written? Does he write for The Simpsons? Because it seems like The Simpsons gets a lot right <laughs> about our the future. Simpsons really did. Yeah, because they had Trump as president way back, like five years. Wait, yeah, a long time ago. ago. I don't know how long ago? It's it's been a while. I think probably after the first time he ran for president, which was a while ago. Well, one of the th- one of the things in this spoof was a section where they released videotapes of him making it with a bunch of Miss Universe contestants <laughs> because he promised all of them that they could win if they, you know, got with him. And of course, some, too far somebody off. taped it and then they were releasing him a little bit at a time to get him. And it was just, there were just some hilarious, it was published July 14th, 2020, the Kindle edition. Oh, okay. So it's not that long ago it's listed as a fake memoir by herb nutterman donald trump's seventh chief of staff who has written the ultimate tell-all about trump and russia and herb nutterman who's the main character of the book is in jail while he's writing it so ah so it's like a lemon and lemony snicket kind of thing it's it's really i enjoyed it i thought it was really fun i'm just saying if they use the real thing it's it's way more unbelievable (laughs) Some of the stuff that happened. <laughs> Woo. Shall we move along to the land of, of books? It's kind of weird only having three people, Keith. It is. I waited. I was waiting and waiting. I was like, who else is coming? Yeah, Where are they? nobody else. We talked about having somebody else on, but, um, well, part of the thing is I have, I have a doctor's appointment at six. So it's like, well, we kind of have to finish up. Yeah, we can't go over. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just too hard to try to coordinate and get a new person rein ourselves in yeah we can be ourselves with you keith oh okay thank you you're welcome have we ever behaved in front of strangers i mean (laughs) we we rein ourselves in when we do our live events yeah we do yes we have to there's kids in the store what they were in for i think they they spent five minutes with you and realized they could let their hair down too so they sounded like no we, we hit them right between the eyes with the first question and they, they rolled with it they rolled yeah. it was amazing <laughs> i was waiting for the silence and the shocked look and it didn't come they were just totally in it you never know what's gonna happen on three book girls 
<laughs> Are we ready? I keep hitting my... Your nose? <laughs> my substantial nose keeps meeting Stop. the microphone. I like to touch my nose to the microphone. You have to actually try. Mine just gets in the way when I turn my head. Well, it's only because my face is so fat that I have to put my nose. Can you hear it? <laughs> we do this all the time. It's it's what gets us. Now we have this day. whole ASMR aspect to the podcast. <laughs> people love. It's time to talk about books. This is my nose rubbing. Here's my eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guess what body part this is? <laughs> hold on, hold on. Here it is. Okay, all right, all right. Let's talk about books. Okay, good luck. Segway. I have no segue from... Well, I don't know how much of that you're going to keep in. So. I have no idea. I won't know until I get there. I have no segue to body parts on the microphone to my book. Here's my nose and book. And my nose was in this book, quite willingly. That was good, Vonnie. Thanks. Um, I discovered another book by Lisa Wingate, oh. who wrote one of my favorites before we were yours. Don't know if anybody remembers that one. I remember you telling us you liked it. <laughs> yep. Loved it. Read it a couple of times. So this one by Lisa Wingate is called The Book of Lost Friends. It is written in two different time periods. One time period is 1875. So it's um, about 10 years after the Civil War, 10 years after... The slaves were freed in the uh, Reconstruction era. And the second time frame is 1987. And in 1980, I'm going to start with the 1987 timeline first. And this is going to be in Louisiana in a very rural, poor community. There's a young lady who goes to town named Benedette to teach at the school. And she's fresh out of college. And one of the things that they do to kind of help um, students with debt and to get teachers into these rural areas that they can't pay very well is that if you work so long in a rural, poorer community, they'll forgive your student debts. So that's basically how she ended up in rural Louisiana to teach at the high school. And she is renting this house that's kind of next to a graveyard and there really isn't anyone else around her. It's kind of a rundown kind of house. And it's on the the acreage around it is all owned by the same people, like the same family. She goes and sneaks around a little bit and goes to the main building and is looking in the windows. And there's a huge, huge library in the main house of this plantation that nobody lives in. It's like nobody has been there. Nobody lives there. Nobody's been there or anything. And so she decides that she's going to try to get a hold of somebody. I'm excited because you said library and I like perked up. <laughs> All of a like sudden I'm listening. <laughs> library. Library. Book porn. <laughs> so she, um, she gets a hold of one of the great grandsons or whatever of the plantation to try to get a key to this this mansion so that she can go into the library and take some of these books to her school so that she the kids have something to read this community is so poor and the kids are not a hundred percent respectable when it comes to school property they're not allowed to take any library books out of the library or anything like that so there's a real shortage of reading material for them Mm. and so on so forth so, of course, you know, single girl straight out of college and a very attractive great-great-grandkid of the plantation owners. What do you think is going to happen? Wow. <laughs> so there's now your... we're in my kind of book. So there's your... Well, there, it's it doesn't get dirty or anything like that. I mean... Not the filth you read, Keith. There's no... It doesn't have to be dirty. There's no quote-unquote king-size penises going on <laughs> in this book. <laughs> Bring that scepter over here! <laughs> <laughs> Let me put on my face card. 
but there is a little bit of romance that that starts to you know spark between them and so they start going through all of these books and they find all of the records of the buying and the selling of and the freeing of the slaves oh so then they find all of these records and they start digging even more and then you find that other members of the family don't like that they're digging around of course not and trying to find you know information and they want to just leave it alone so there's you know some tension going on there and made it quite interesting you find out some stuff that that's going on that happens they unveil some secrets that were not known before and then at the same time you cross over to this other timeline which is 1857 and there's a girl she's probably about 18 and she's a freed slave on the plantation her name is hanny and when her timeline first starts it actually flashes back to when she's six and she's with her mom and some uh, and her aunt and some other kids and everything else and it's during the civil war and uh the owner of the plantation has told his son to take the slaves to Texas because he doesn't want to lose his slaves. Well, his son, being the horrible person that he is, decides that he's just going to start selling these slaves and auctioning them off in different places as he goes to Texas. And then whoever he has left when he gets there, those are the slaves that are left. Hanny's six at the time, and her mom comes up with this little kind of chant that they do so they they can remember which family member was sold to which plantation owner through their trek from Louisiana to Texas. And Hanny remembers this in her mind the whole time, including the part of the chant where her mom gets taken away from her. And... Mm. Right, and sold. And Hanny actually gets sold too, but when she sold, she sold to an older lady, and she tells the older lady that she belongs to this other plantation owner, and the older lady calls the authorities and take her back to her, to, to who she belongs to, because it's illegal to sell the slaves. And then, of course, after that, the son is on the run because he's, you know, broken the law and doesn't want to get arrested. So <clears throat> it's time period to when Hanny's about 18. She's still working on the plantation. She's already been freed and she's working as a sharecropper. And the contract that they have is that if once they work 10 years, then they get their own plot of land that they can work to be independent. And that time is just about up. And the wife of the plantation is not a very nice person. And Hanny's really afraid that something's going to happen to Mr. She just calls him Mr. She never calls him by his name. And the wife is just going to tear up the contract and kick him off the land and they're not going to have anything after 10 years worth of work, which happened a lot, I guess. Back in that time, Mr. leaves and goes to New Orleans and isn't heard from for a long time. And then Hanny finds this little girl who is a couple years. I say little. She's probably about 14, 15 years old, um, sneaking into the main house and come to find out that that little girl is Mr.'s child from a mistress that he has in New Orleans. Oh, dear. And she's come to find paperwork because Mr. Is, come, is missing. Nobody knows where he's at. So she's come looking to see if she can find out what happened to him. And the little girl, his other little girl, who is his legitimate little girl, they call her Missy, um, she knows about the the her half-sister and everything else and did the stories end up intertwining well i mean they're they're a hundred years in in between so they don't really intertwine the 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 connection to them is that she lives in the house she lives in the house and she finds the papers all of the papers about 
And there is something that she discovers that directly affects the people that the story is in a hundred years ago. But so this little girl tries to sneak in the house. The Missy ends up finding her, which is the legitimate daughter of Mr. The, the plantation owners. It would be easier if I actually knew names, but she didn't really say names very much. Mm, right. And um, the daughter, who is like a couple years older than her, I'm guessing that the daughter's about 16-ish. And um, the daughter like sets up this, like this meeting with these people who are bad men. And it's almost like she's trying to sell her half-sister. Jeez. You, n- you never find out exactly what that meaning's about. But then Hanny, who is dressed up like a boy because she decides that she's going to drive the ferry down or the horses down there for the meeting to find out what's going on, ends up saving them. Oh. And they go on the run. And one of the, one of the places that they hide to get away from the bad men is this church which is an African-American church. And all on the walls are these like different newspaper articles of people looking for other people. And what they are is they're slaves that were sold before they were freed. And they're looking for their relatives. Wow. Mm. And so the, the, the little Cajun girl who can read and write ends up writing all of them in a book and starts keeping a book and asking everybody as they go through their journey, if they know any of these people. Oh, wow. And they're like, no, but I'd like to add a name to the, to the book and so on and so forth. So they end up with a whole book of lost friends. Wow. Yeah. It's so depressing though. Golly. Yeah. It's a really hard book to describe because there's so much that's going on all at one time. And the, the Lost Friends book, it's, it isn't the center of the story. Really, the center of the story is about Hanny and, um, and, and her life. Hanny is really the main character, even more than um, the uh, Benedette that's the teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, just tells her story about how, you know, she, her whole family got sold off. She was working as a sharecropper after the, the slaves were freed and how she helped find missing relatives with this book of lost friends. It was depressing and, but it was also, I mean, she's a great character because she always doubts herself, but she always does the right thing. She always rises to the occasion, even though she doesn't think that she can. I enjoyed it. So what would you rate it? Oh, definitely a five. Well, I kind of knew you were going to say that because you liked (laughs) the other one by Lisa Wingate so much. Well, just because you like one book, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like all of the books. No, but I can tell just by your tone that you are loving it, so... Yeah. I mean, when I got done reading it, I was like, "Mm, I'm probably going to read that book again sometime. And that was The Book of Lost Friends by Lisa Wingate. Well, it's hard to talk about a book when it's it's almost because that book sounds almost like a memoir of someone of a bunch of people's lives. Well, yeah. So it's not like, oh, here's the problem. And now you have to read to find the solution. Right. It's more like there's so many things are going on. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. And each level is a different flavor, and you're trying to describe what all these flavors together taste like. And then throughout, that's a really good way to put it. I like the way you put that because that that is especially when there is a book with a lot of different layers. It's like you have to stop and describe the flavor of each layer, and then what it's like how they taste all together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a parfait of literature, Mm -hmm. and everybody loves a parfait. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) well i mean and it's just really hard because then when you really love a book that has all those layers and you're trying to tell somebody and they get there let's they get this glossy look and they're like uh 
She was describing my glossy look just now. <laughs> I was a little glossed over there for a minute. Until she said library, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> and then you started smiling at me like, what? Do I have a boogie in my mouth? What are you smiling at me for? I was imagining that ah. cool library, that's all. I know, in this old freaking Victorian oh, mansion. I was just going through all the things I would do in that library, and I was thinking about I would do anything to get in there. Yeah, I wouldn't it, wait for a freaking key. I would be getting a crowbar, man. Well, I mean, she is a law-abiding citizen. And I'm probably not. And she's yeah. a little bit of a, you know, a mouse. She's yeah, she's not yeah. super outgoing, so I don't see her character breaking into buildings. <sighs> yeah, school teachers generally frown on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. They, they're usually <laughs> rule followers. I'm a mm. rule follower. In my real life, now in my superhero life, vampire slayer life, vampire slayer you just life, kick everybody's ass. I'm an ass kicking bitch. <laughs> Get out of my kick way. Ass, take names. I got a shovel if you need to bury a body. Nice. Yeah. But it's all just I have made the up, acid so. to disintegrate the body. See, so. we're, we all have that deep inner life going on here, Keith. Well, you know, Keith, we sort of have pigeonholed you over the months in sort of that weird porn category that tends to highlight most of our conversations together. But I know that you have a deeper, <laughs> a deeper reading life than that. So I apologize for having, you know, put you in the dinosaur porn hole. I don't know that you do that <laughs> as much as I do that, because I think that the dinosaur porn thing is just so hysterical. <laughs> It really is. You have you have to admit that's not and something. I've never, I have never read it, but I did find a review online of somebody who was like asked to read it and review it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I could never read it. <laughs> you want to talk about Stephen King and his member? How does a triceratops get into a human being? That's it, it. Wouldn't happen. It boggles I mean, the mind. The triceratops's wang would probably be as big as a person, like a full well, size adult person. On the website, there was this very academic discussion, like in the comments about whether or not that would be possible, because people were like, "Well, when you talk about a human, their like their members are much larger." than an animal in comparison with their body and and i was just i'm reading it and i'm like i'm learning so much so it's a triceratops <laughs> with a tiny dick <laughs> i guess it's we a triceratops that drives a very large truck <laughs> <laughs> he's and obviously he compensating for something I, I think i saw him and i'm on cue earlier today <laughs> This triceratops is driving a Porsche. That's oh. how that's how much compensation. Oh my gosh. Mm, that's a lot of compensation. Does he have to hold his glass with two hands? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I did a Keith. great job in not being pigeonholed just then. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> yeah, sure did, Keith. No, but seriously. But I enjoy a good romance, as y'all know. And honestly, I enjoy a good romance because I like have happily ever afters. Yeah. And there are no romances without those. Which is probably why I don't tend to read them. Because I I really don't like things when they have a nice little bow. You like things more realistic. I do. Which I also get. Sometimes I'm in a mood for those, but a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm like, I want to hear about something amazingly different from my life. Like people who fall in love across a crowded room because that doesn't happen and their eyes met it doesn't really happen (laughs) or if it does happen the cops are usually called (laughs) (laughs) he's stalking me oh my god he creeps me out the reason why their eyes met is because it's really your stalker (laughs) (laughs) it's joe from you (laughs) he happens to know everything about you he's already bugged your computer that's right and put a tracker on your phone. Oh. Look, looked in the windows with his binoculars. Mm-hmm. GPS, up. magnetic GPS underneath your car. So that's how come he knows where you went. Martha, you seem to know a lot about this. I'm totally creeping stuff. my own self out over here. <laughs> I'm going to check really my car before you. I leave. <laughs> you ever wonder how I know that you're, <laughs> that you're at the on cue on the corner? <laughs> hey. hey, would you pick me up a soda while you're in there? Need some of those hot pickles. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Um, 
Key. What did you I'm, read? I am going to surprise the heck out of you because I didn't pick a romance. <gasps> I know. That is so cool. I mean, there's a little romance in it, like kind of like Vonnie's book, but it's not at all the main feature. So there's no dinosaur uh, dicks in this one. No dinosaur. No haunted vagina. No. I can't a, think what else we've talked about. I'm a little about. disappointed about the lack of haunted vagina, but but continue. <laughs> So uh, the book I read is called The Bright Side of Going Dark by Kelly Harms. I read it because I, I read another book by Kelly Harms called The Overdue Life of Amy Byler, and I really, really liked it. So I'm just like Vonnie. I was like, I want to read another by this author that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this story tells the story of two characters, and it's told in their differing perspectives. One is named Mia, and she is an influencer on this app for phones called Picti, and basically it's Instagram. When I'm picturing thinly it, veiled, thinly veiled Instagram. Yeah, they even talk about Instagram and how everybody in the book in this book's world got bored with it, so they all started going to this new app. Oh. And Mia is a huge influencer. One because she kind of lucked into it. She she knew an like a developer friend who was on the app. So she was one of the first 20 people on it. Mm. So when she started, she was a yoga instructor and she has this three-legged dog named Mike who she Aww. took to it. So, so she adopts Mike because as she's driving down the road one day, someone throws him out of the car and Aww. he gets hit by another car and she saves his life. Aww. So Mia has the three-legged dog and he has insane anxiety issues because he was thrown out the window of a car. I think I would have insane anxiety issues if that happened to me. Right? Yeah. So she basically can't leave him at home. So she starts taking him to her yoga studio and he just kind of interacts with the yoga people and is very cute. And so that's what she starts posting about is how she does yoga poses and her dog comes with her everywhere. So she gets this huge following like she's one of the top people on this app um and then it it kind of goes from like when you start getting so many followers her life becomes being on this app and she has to stop being a yoga instructor and now her whole job is just posting pictures and this book does a really amazing job of explaining just how tough that job is because she has to post 15 20 pictures a day she has to put all these filters she has to take these amazing photos and this is not just to snap a photo with your phone and put a filter on it and go i mean she has huge cameras and lights and so and she has to put the perfect hashtags and it it's crazy sounds very involved this is literally more than a full-time job. It takes up all of her life, basically. So once her yoga studio is kind of gone and she's not doing yoga anymore, uh, her dog dies. And oh, I know. Mike, God, what is it with he you was, people in sad books? Well, he was old. So when she got him, so oh. he's not like a puppy or anything, but he got cancer and she goes, she pays all the money and goes to all the lengths and they have a lot longer than they're supposed to. Uh, but when he dies, her personality on the app is kind of lost. So, but then she gets engaged. So her new thing is she used to be yoga and the dog. Now she's, she's getting married and it's going to be this huge wedding the whole thing is going to be live cast on this app. So she has sponsors and people giving her stuff and she has to post all these things using the dress that they want and using certain pictures of the cake and everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, Martha, where do you think this is going? Uh, let's see. Because the dog died, I'm going to guess and say that her, her fiance does something horrible and the wedding gets called off. Leaves her at the yeah. altar. Bing, bing, bing. Two days. <laughs> I was job, pretty damn guys. close. Come on. Two days before he says, I can't do this. We aren't really in love. We're in love on an app, basically. Ooh. And I can't go through with this. It's harsh. But it's in the, right? Mm. But in the same vein, and so in the same vein, she's not heartbroken 
but she is really upset because she has sponsors who have already paid them money to uh, show dresses yep. to show it's amazing i was reading it and i was stressed yeah i had no idea what goes into these influencers i mean if this if any part of this is true i really have learned something about the poor people who work for a living doing instagram so the fiance calls off the wedding but she has all these obligations plus he's also telling her that one of the things that made him decide he wanted to leave her is that she wouldn't sign a prenup Ugh. she was very famous and he's a photographer so he's kind of writing her coattails he has a hashtag and, like and he wanted her to sign a prenup yes and he has this like his username is something like he loves mia like so he's tied his fame as a photographer is really tied into her brand Hmm. So he basically tells her that um, he wants 50% of all the revenue that this wedding has made. Meanwhile, she's put down a 50% deposit on the venue that she can't get oh, back. God, you're um, giving me anxiety talking about that shit. Right. Every time I talk about a wedding and it <sighs> ending right before, that's, I can't even imagine. That's so much work. That's so many... Luckily, they didn't invite many people, so it's not like she has to tell a ton of people because it was just going to be really close family. But it was going to be in Col. She lives in LA, and it was going to be in Colorado amongst like the mountains because you know beautiful photo ops. Mm -hmm. So she goes anyway, and she goes to the venue, and she figures since she already paid for the rooms, she's going to stay there a couple of days, and then she pretty much decides to pretend to go along with the wedding. Oh. <gasps> yeah. Without the groom? Without the groom. I mean, so you can hire somebody has... for that position. Yeah, but there, there are photos of him. So? It's just an app. Well, she so she goes online with her with her followers and she basically says, "My husband to be wants this to be like an us thing. He doesn't want everything to be in the public eye." So there goes the whole streaming of the thing. And throughout the book, she, they talk about, like, it, it's kind of like half of the people are okay, and then half of the people just say terrible, awful things. And that brings us to the second person in the book. Uh, when somebody says a terrible thing, you can flag, uh, when you're an influencer on this particular app, you're allowed to completely delete comments that aren't nice, or you can flag them for inappropriate content. Uh -huh. So our second character, her name is Paige. She works in standards enforcement for Picti. Her job is just to read things that were flagged and decide if they're inappropriate or not and to send them to the proper channels. What a Paige, horrible fucking job, man. Oh, it's terrible. They have, man, every day they have to fill out a questionnaire about how they feel. If they do it incorrectly, they have to see the, the company psychologist. <laughs> I was joking about it, but I guess I shouldn't mm. joke about it. Holy crap. And Paige has a history of mental illness. She tried to commit suicide when she was uh, younger and she survived, obviously, but uh, she has lots of issues. So she's very, very careful about filling the forms out every time, every day, the right way, even though, even if that's not how she feels. Mm. She doesn't have a lot of support. She doesn't have really any friends. She kind of lives this very solitary life. She has a half-sister named Jessica, and she only sees her like once a year kind of thing. Uh, and her half-sister is much younger than her. I think like 12, 10 or 12 years, something like that. One day as she's leaving work, the last thing that's, that comes upon her screen is one of Mia's posts. In the comments, somebody has flagged that a, uh, one of the users has written... Uh, Mia, do you ever feel like nobody would care if you weren't here? Something along those lines. And someone has flagged that because they're concerned uh, about the user who put that, that maybe they're 
contemplating suicide. Right. Well, it's kind of like the clock hits five as she's looking at it. So she just kind of clicks out of it and goes home. No. Well, the next day she comes to work and her boss immediately brings her in. And because she kind of clocked out of that, it went to the next person in queue at her work. That person called 911 uh, and sent them to that user's house. And it was Paige's half-sister, Jessica. And she tried to commit suicide. She slit her wrists and she's in the hospital. So the whole rest of the book, Paige feels responsible. And she shouldn't, but... she has a very interesting way of thinking. She also feels responsible because her younger sister has grown up in the same environment and it's a kind of toxic environment that made her want to commit suicide when she was younger. And she feels badly that she never sheltered Jessica from that environment. But Jessica is much different than her. She's this outgoing, happy person. So she's really confused because she thought Jessica was better than she was i guess so mm. Paige wants to keep working she, but her bosses tell her she has to take a mandatory two-week vacation she even tries to break back into the office and they're like nope you gotta leave <laughs> you can't be here <laughs> i was just i just forgot some things that's all so while Paige is trying to come to grips she also has kind of decided It's not just her fault, but it's also Mia's fault because Jessica really loves Mia's feed and is a big fan. And because she works at Picti, she kind of does some sleuthing and figures out that Mia's lying about the wedding continuing. I was wondering where the connection was going to come in. She is really, really ticked off because she feels like Mia is lying to the public and painting this rosy picture of loveliness and her sister bought into it and then thought her life was so awful that she tried to kill herself. So Jessica goes to Colorado to see her half sister in the hospital. And this, she just happens to be, the hospital just happens to be about an hour away from the wedding venue. So Paige goes and checks into the, the wedding venue. Like it's a, this B and B. So she goes and checks in and she stays there while she's visiting Jessica. And Mia is so, Mia's trying for for like two days. She tries and tries to kind of continue with this wedding nonsense. And after a while, it gets so tiring. And her she's staying with her mother who also lives in Colorado. And her mother is very anti phones and electronics. <laughs> and one day her mom is like, if you really wanted to do yourself a favor, you would climb to the top of the mountain by here and throw your phone off a cliff. And that's what Mia does. <laughs> and right before she does it, she does say to her, to her followers, she says, I'm going to enjoy my honeymoon and I'm going to go dark. And, mm. and then she gets rid of the phone. So she can't go back on. Well, uh, Paige is still working from this B&B and she's still sleuthing and looking into Mia and she finds out she's gone dark and she sees that just from a day of Mia not being on, she loses thousands and thousands of followers and they're making comments like, you know, you're not on, you don't care about us, whatever, we're leaving. And she thinks, and she, she still works for Picti, and she's like, okay, this woman is losing followers. What is she doing? She can't do this. So Paige hacks her account, and Paige starts being Mia. Holy shit, how can she do mm. that if it's a freaking pictures? Ugh. She starts posting pictures, and when Jessica gets out of the hospital, Jessica helps her. Wow. And the whole story is just about kind of coming to terms Mia's coming to terms with how nice it is to not have to live for the public and Paige is kind of learning how hard it is to live for the public there is a lot of talk about grief because every all of these people have grief that they're all 
Mia is still grieving the loss of her dog, who was basically the one the the person she had in life. And Jessica is grieving the fact that her life isn't going the way that she planned it and she doesn't know what to do. And Paige is grieving the fact that she can't help everybody. One of the big themes in this book is what is the appropriate amount of time that someone needs to grieve? Because the people on Picti, I keep wanting to call it Instagram, but it's not. So on Picti, Mia's followers were very sad when, when her dog died, but then they got over it really quickly. So she felt like she had to stop posting about her dog because it was making people sad. Jessica, her friends, don't kind of come to her and say, oh my gosh, are you okay? They say things like, how did you try to kill yourself? What did you do? So we just see all of these expectations of the community and just how everybody's so out of touch because they're living behind screens. And so we see how taking the screen out of the picture enriches enriches Mia's life and then putting the screen more in front of Paige just stresses her out. Mm-hmm. And it was really eye-opening to me because I'm not huge on social media. I I don't have my phone really glued to me. I, now, if you talked about my e-reader, yeah, it's always in my hand. But if I was constantly on social media and constantly getting comments about myself and how Mm. I looked and how I acted. I don't know what I would do. (laughs) I could not live that way. We talked before about how during all of this election, during, I mean, during everything with COVID and everything else, Facebook makes us anxious. Yep. Uh, So it's, it's a really nice story about, (gasps) The bright side of going dark. <laughs> well. <laughs> ah. But yeah, I, I really liked it. I gave it five stars. I very rarely uh, n- highlight passages in mm-hmm. books. Mm-hmm. This book had tons of just great, really amazing quotes and snippets. Hmm. Just, it, it was a really profound look at how ingrained in technology we are and how sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not great and there's a middle ground that perhaps a lot of us haven't found yet and that was the bright side of going dark by kelly harms awesome well there's also the bright side of going online right because without that you and i never would have met so true see because, it's that middle ground. Yeah, middle ground because, exactly. you know, during the pandemic, everyone was, you know, totally freaked out and, and uh, isolated and lonely. And our group formed because of that and has made all of us stronger because of it. You can find connections and that is a great tool, but it's when people decide that they're kind of behind a screen so they can say whatever they want. Oh, yeah. You can raise plenty of people- that too. You can raise people up or you can push people down. Yep. And it's. And people are assholes to people that they've never met more readily than they would be to their face, which is really sad. And that, and I do see that. But in the opposite way, there are people who would never, I would never have gone to a book club in person with a bunch of people I didn't know. But because I'm behind a screen, it was so much easier to join the book tribe and talk to people because there was that sense of security because buffer. I'm not in person. Mm-hmm. Yes, that buffer of the screen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you have to find the good and try and limit the bad from taking over your life. That's a good way to put it. Well, I guess it's my turn, huh? Yep. Did you figure it out is. what you're going to review? <sighs> Yeah, I guess. Did you go for the physics book? No, I'm going to save. Oh, my Lord. I'm saving (laughs) physics for when there's a bigger buffer. Oh, (laughs) for when there's when there's an extra person that can, you know, that can provide that that buffer. What I chose today is that the Coyotes of Carthage by Stephen Wright. And this I don't even remember why I ended up reading this, because this is really not my normal genre. 
In fact, if I had to choose a genre for it, I don't even know where I'd put it. It's it's a very unusual type read. It's not really a political thriller, but it's about the dark side of politics. Mm. But it's also very character driven. And it's not about any specific candidate or any specific party. It's just really an inside look at political consulting and the dark money that is flowing through our political system. But like I said, he did it in the context of a very character-driven, engrossing story, which is one of the reasons that I really liked it. I was going to say, because that sounds like something I would read because it's about, you know, money and statistics, but not something you would necessarily read. Right. Well, it's not really about money and statistics specifically. It's okay. I'll paint this picture for you, first of all. Okay. Our main character is an African-American political consultant. He's an extremely flawed character. He's got serious issues in his background. And the woman who gave him the job, his mentor is basically like a um, grandmother figure to him, maybe even a mother figure. And he respects her a lot, even though she kind of treats him like crap. And she gives him one last chance to prove himself. And she sends him off to the Deep South to try to convince the locals that it's a great idea to sell off some land for this mining company, which is basically against their best interest. So he has to try to find a way to do that. And in the meantime, you know, he's just a really, really unhappy guy. And he goes home at night and he just, he's by himself. He has addiction issues. And during the book, he just seriously unravels so there's that portion of the book that makes it good because his character is just so compelling. And then you add in all of the moving pieces of this. It's almost like a scheme that he's trying to put out there with this dark money. He has to try to take the information that he has and spin it into a positive for the locals, which he's able to do by manipulating them. He, he sends some more of the locals out to get signatures and pays them to do that and sort of stage manages the whole thing. And that's really what his job is to do that. He's a stage manager for this political scheme. It even comes down to choosing a candidate locally and getting her sort of using her religious beliefs and her connection to the locals as a way to get this thing done. I mean, it's just all so fucking sketchy. As I was reading, I was thinking, you know, this explains an awful lot. If, if this really, if people really do this sort of thing, which I know they do. Intuitively, I know this sort of thing exists, but I never really thought about it. And if you look at a, the current political climate, you can really see how that the tactics that are sort of introduced in this book really changed a lot of things for us in this country. But at the same time, it was such an enjoyable read because the main character is one of those flawed individuals who really sort of, I don't know, he just fe you just feel so sorry for him in some ways because he's sort of teetering on the edge of a breakdown this whole time, you know, trying to get, get it done for, for his mentor. And this land grab is sort of disguised as this, you know, they, they drape it in religion and they do all these sorts of really sketchy things in order to get what they want through spending this money. Like I said, it was probably a terrible time for me to read this because my head was right in the middle of politics. I read it the first part of October, which may explain one of the reasons that I liked as much as I did, because I was sort of looking for answers right about that time of well, how in the hell did we get here? You know, and just sort of that. Ugh. 
feeling of politics that was really driving me crazy about that time. And this book really helped me in a way to feel better about the situation. But it also made me angry and wanting to pull back the veil over the way things work in this country to show people, you know, that are being hoodwinked by these politicians and the, the people who are the lobbyists and the political consultants and the political action committees and all of that. I mean, long story short, I loved this book. I loved it because the characters were fantastic. When he was describing these locals, you really recognized some of those people that, that you've met during your lifetime. Um, you, having lived in a bunch of small towns, I really recognized a lot of those character types. And he just was able to weave such a wonderful story. One of the things I liked especially about it is it didn't put a big bow on it. You know, it wasn't all tidy and neat. It was a story that felt real to me. And if you're looking for something that ends in a perfect way and everyone lives happily ever after and, you know. Well, it's not politics, that's for sure. No, it sure is not. <laughs> right. But I think he did a fantastic job in this book. Not, It's not for everyone. Not everyone will love it. But I think it definitely is worth a read, especially if you're interested in the behind the scenes kind of stuff that happens in politics, but you like a good story as well. Stephen Wright did a fantastic job of this book. I personally gave it five stars. Wow. I know. I really, really loved this book. It was, it just clicked all the boxes for me. And I personally would highly recommend that you read it. Don't expect a tidy ending because it, it definitely did not have that. But I loved it. It was called The Coyotes of Carthage by Stephen Wright. I know a lot of women on the tribe have read it and have said the same thing. It, it seems like a really important book, especially now, because it, that's what I have heard, is that it kind of goes behind the curtain. Yeah. I, a whole I bunch think... of things that you wouldn't think about that could happen in the country, but that do probably all the time yeah it's stuff you don't think about it's things I mean I've often thought that about many things in life where there's a whole army of people who make widgets and aglets for shoelaces and you know all kinds of little things in our lives that we never see even though we use them all the time and, mm -hmm, and right. in some ways, politics is a lot like that because it's such a huge part of our life, but we never really see how it works. Well, it's like what you said. It's the dark side of politics, because especially when you throw in all of the lobbyists and some of these like really huge corporations and and everything. And I'm pretty sure I don't know 100 percent. I would have to look, but they kind of changed stuff around a while back where some of those lobbyists and corporations they actually like treat as individuals so like they get like a vote so it's like a fake person that you know is going to vote a specific way because that's what they're lobbying for right i'm telling you there's all kinds of, and when there's money involved people with money can get just about anything they want if they go about it the right way. And that's, right. and that's another facet of this book that you just look at it and you go, man, there's a lot of crooked people. They'll do anything to get what they want and their own way. And the right way is often the wrong way. Yeah. 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 It goes back to what we were talking about way back when we were saying that there's probably a bunch of things that politicians don't think we need to know or don't think we would understand so we don't know they don't tell those us things that are going mm -hmm. on yep oh yeah like I'm about sure. the aliens i totally <laughs> changed my mind about that i do not think maybe the reason why you had that dream about stephen king is because you were actually probed by aliens that night and that's oh, what maybe. caused your uti <gasps> and maybe stephen oh. king is actually an alien did he have larger large large eyes Larger than life? No, but he did have a, an extremely unruly beard, which I do not find attractive at all. 
Hmm. No, I think the aliens went into your mind to, and they were like, okay, who could we create as like a character <gasps> that she wouldn't find threatening? And they said, oh, Stephen King, she seems to like him. Is that maybe why he didn't quite look like himself? That could be. Yes. Because they were taking the picture out of your mind of what your interpretation <gasps> and they mixed it up between Joe Hill with the unruly beard and Stephen King. So that's where the beard <gasps> came in. Oh my God. We have cracked it. That's the mind what happened. The, code. the mind has been blown, you guys. Next time aliens Serious. use a smaller probe because now she's got to go to the doctor. And I freaking hate having a UTI. Jeez. <laughs> this podcast is they- going to get taken off the air. <laughs> you would think. They're going to be like, shh, they know too much. <laughs> <laughs> they guessed it all. It's Area 51 for this, for this tape. <laughs> for this, this file is going to Area 51. In they the vault. Silenced. It's going in the vault. <laughs> I know you guys have had in, inappropriate dreams about. How about you, Vonnie? Have you had an inappropriate dream about Ken Follett? No. Ooh. No, I haven't. I have about Paul Hollywood <laughs> off oh. of Bake Off. Hey. God <laughs> damn, The whole he's... time, he would, he would just tell you what you were doing wrong the entire time. No, he wouldn't. He'd he's... say, taste this, baby. He's very bossy. Ooh, those <laughs> eyes. He's one of those that I didn't, I don't necessarily think he's like overly attractive when I very oh, I first do. started Holy watching shit. it. I mean, yeah, I think he's pretty attractive. He's attractive he's and got everything. The most smiling eyes I've ever seen in a guy. But his personality is so dry that at first yeah. I was kind of like, I don't know if I like you or not. But then as I watched more and more of the series, because I liked all the bakers. We're talking about the Great British Baking Show yeah. for those of you who need a little uh, if you tutorial. Didn't do there. really well. He would not give you a handshake after, and then you would feel bad for the rest of your life. I don't think she was dreaming about a handshake at all. There were hands involved. <laughs> you only get the handshake if you performed really, really well afterward. Listen, I always get a handshake. <laughs> and on that note, woo-hoo, that's going to do it for Three, three book, book Girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.